Well, if I'd had rhythm, I'd do something, but I don't, so I won't. <laughs> hey, I'm thrilled you're here. We're doing a series called In Pursuit of Happiness. Every person, Christian, non-Christian, young and old alike, are looking for this often elusive feeling of happiness in life. In this series, we've learned that lasting happiness is not found by material things. It's not found simply in temporal pleasures, but it's found in an eternal relationship with God. Last week, we learned about how to be happy with ourselves, being happy with the man in the mirror. And this morning, I want to talk about be, having a happy home, a home that all of us desire, all of us aspire to. And if I can show you just a little cute video, I had a birthday last week, and I got the most incredible little video for my birthday. can I say? Only God knows the IQ of that child. Six months of age, and you just observe what's happening. I share that with you, not just because I'm proud, but I want you to touch that, that, that feeling inside about happiness with children, happiness with grandchildren, happiness in what? I mean, no, everybody lives in a house. You live somewhere. You could live in a shelter. You could live in a 10,000-square-foot house, but how many know you need more than a house to live in? We all want a home. We want a place of peace. We want a place where we long to go to. There has not been one a bad day of my life that I wanted to go somewhere else. And every time I'm away from home, I want to come back to home. There's a reason for that. There's something that God created, and I want to explore it today, whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, wherever you are. There's people in your world. There's people coming through this place called home. And I want to teach you from a biblical perspective how to have a happy home. There's a lot of people try to find a happy home with maybe a case of Bud Light a day. Well, I tell you, that won't do it. It will mask some things, but it won't bring what I'm talking about today. Let's share some ideas this morning. Five different uh, principles from the Bible about a happy home. Here's the first one. A happy home has what I call biblical values. Or maybe a word that you want to use is house rules are based on God's word. And it's not just a litany of religious behavior, but what it is, is it's the difference between right and wrong, and it affects the way that we relate to the people that we share this house with. How I many know everybody has values in life, but biblical values work best? How I many know if you have several single people living together, sharing an apartment, sharing a house? Well, how many know if one of you, let's say if you this week, and I'll ask how you felt, but let's say you have a, a, a really big test coming up. It's going to affect your future, and uh, you don't know if you're going to pass or fail, but I mean you study to the nth degree, you're up all night, and you pass it. You find the grade shortly after class. Well, before you go to work, you stop by Albertsons, and you get a T-bone steak this thick, and you get a big chocolate cake. Are you with me now? Just for yourself. You're coming home for a celebration tonight, but you come home to your house, and one of your roommates, you smell the fragrance of burnt beef in the air. Are you with me now? And you walk through the kitchen, and all that's left of your steak is the bone. And there you find that knucklehead sitting on the couch with cr chocolate crumbs on his face. How many know you have a potential conflict on your hands? Wouldn't it be better if the values that you shared, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, and the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. 
Well, now that's somewhat humorous, but how many know many relationships split up, many people go home to conflict every day because the values that we share are not biblical values. It's one thing to say, I believe the Bible. It's another thing to live and practice what it says. As again, as I stay with this point, making the house rules, your house rules, the moral teaching of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, morality simply means right and wrong. But Paul told Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. In other words, the parents' responsibility to teach their children the ways of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. That When we call the Bible God's Word, it's because God somehow uh, pr provoked, inspired men to write His words in what we call the Holy Bible. But notice what it says. It's useful to teach us, to show us what is wrong in their lives, for correcting our faults, and for teaching us how to live right. Right and wrong found on the pages of the Bible. Uh, the Bible, God's Word, tells us what this is. Now, our culture today is a secular culture. Uh, we're driven by humanism more than a desire for God. But in our culture today, friends, we forget sometimes that the value system that shaped America's history and Western civilization was the Bible. Now, you're not taught that in school today. You may even think it's funny to even suggest that, but look at the picture of the Supreme Court where the buck stops in Washington, D.C. If you've ever been to the Supreme Court up front, you'll see different figures that are represented there, Hammurabi and his law code, but at the top of it, the very pinnacle, and there's four reasons, Moses and the Ten Commandments. If you walk in the front doors of the Supreme Court building, guess what you're greeted by? You see the commandments there on the wall, one through ten. It is undeniable about the place of the Bible in the shaping of America's history. Now, when we're talking, though, about values, I want to ask you this question, if we can perhaps bring it to everyday life and discussions we're having. What are you teaching your children about sexuality? What will my grandson be taught about proper and improper sexual behavior? Will someone teach your children that it's better to be a virgin when they marry, that they're aspiring to live pure in their teenage and, 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 and early years and then come together with their husband or wife and enjoy one another through all their days? Is that being taught or is it what's taught in America today? Pretty much sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, as long as you use a condom. That's the message of America. Who's going to teach your children? Are, are, are your children going to be taught that they are created by God, and as the Bible says, as male or female, that it's not a choice we make to determine who we are, but we accept God's design on their life? If you went to Planned Parenthood for advice on their website for preschool parents, now think about this, teaching preschoolers, Planned Parenthood suggests this. If you put uh, your daughters in pink princess rooms and your boy in a blue sports room, before they're old enough to choose for themselves. And that's key because that's the, that's the thinking of modern Americans. Rather than God having established absolute truth, and we accept it or we reject it, we have somehow believed this deification of self, the modern idolatry that I somehow have the right to make these decisions. But Planned Parenthood said you'll send the message that they have to like certain things about their gender. They also say this, your kid may notice another kid in their preschool who has a different kind of family than them, a family with a different number of parents or with two moms or two dads. Take a minute and explain to your kid that what they're noticing is different from your family, but there's nothing wrong with it. Now again, the question is right and wrong. 
In our world today, we're simply told that whether it has to do with gender, whether it has to do with marriage or sexuality, this is just the way it is. And it's this authoritarian push that seems to be permeating our society, permeating Hollywood, permeating our classrooms. I have always taught my children, I teach you as your pastor, uh, I treat people. I want to treat every person with kindness and respect. I want to, if the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, how many know Christians should embody the way that we treat other people should be with kindness and love and respect and dignity because they're created in the image of God, irrespective of their race, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of gender confusion, irrespective of what's out in the world out there. How many know we're to love all people the way they are? But that doesn't imply that we don't know the difference between right and wrong. I can love you and still have a way, God's word, as the right way for the path in life and to teach that for my children. Uh, this is, again, biblical values in our home. And I'll suggest to you the path from God's perspective and our own that the path to a happy home is allowing biblical values to determine how we live. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, here's the second one. A happy home guards the door. What do I mean by that? If I could read a scripture, Matthew 24, the context is about the last days, about being prepared, but it paints a picture that sets this up. Jesus said these words, uh, uh, talking about his coming would be like a thief, the second coming. But Jesus said, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he'd have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Don't you think about this? Virtually, I would imagine everybody in this church has, has uh, 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 deadbolts on your doors. Many of us have alarm systems. Many of us have big dogs to protect ourselves because we don't want people to come in and rob and steal and hurt us. But at the same time, we let thieves come in our home all the time through television, through music, through the Internet. And oftentimes, these influences will rob the innocence of our children and corrupt our values. You say, now, come on, you're being a little, a little, uh, 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 what am I being? I'm being a little old-fashioned preacher. Let me show you just a little quick video, and I won't show much of it, but the song is called Move That Dope. Move That Dope. Real dope dealers for real. <laughs> Drug dealers are for real. That was enough. Uh, I listened to it. I can't get it out of my head. Twelve times in just the chorus, young inward, move that dope. Young inward, move that dope. Young inward, move that dope. And then when you get to the verse, it's talking about chopping it up, bagging it up, so you can drive it in my Maserati. Young inward, move that dope. Young inward, move that dope. I don't want my kids moving dope. Why should I let a cultural icon be an influence? Why should I let that through my door? Stay with me now. In our world today, well, everybody, equality demands it. Nobody tells anybody else what to do. Somebody needs to. Because the world is trying to influence your home and the values that are there. I want to ask you two questions. Who are you letting in your home and what are you letting in your home? The first, the who, 1 Corinthians 15, this refers to people that I'm allowing to just come in and have influence. And there's a tension here because as a Christian, my responsibility is to reach the world for Christ. 
My responsibility is to reach lost, broken people who were just as lost as I was. And I was very worldly. I understand the world of drinking and smoking and drugging and all that kind of stuff. I understand it. But as a Christian, I don't want to isolate myself from it. But on the flip side, I have to be careful that its influence doesn't bring me back or bring my family back. There's an uh, undeniable truth in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I'll read you a passage in Nehemiah, how Nehemiah responded to an evil person that would not let go of their evil ways. The book of Nehemiah uh, is reflective of Israel's history. Israel, under Moses, warned the people that if they, if they allowed themselves to go into idolatry, if they followed the ways of the world, if paganism defined the nation, one day God would judge them severely. It happened 700 years later. They lost everything. They were carried away into captivity. It was horrible, as you can imagine. But after 70 years of that discipline, they came back to the land. And now what Nehemiah, when he returns to visit the city, he finds them doing the same things they were doing that got them in trouble before. And it happened because they'd invited the wrong person in. Here's the story, Nehemiah 13, verse 4. Eliashib, the priest, a spiritual leader who should have known better, He was a relative of a man named Tobiah. Tobiah was a heathen. He was a pagan. He was someone that was in the world and didn't care about God's ways. Uh, He was welcomed in Eliashib's family. Well, Eliashib gave him a room in church. He converted a large storage room. And listen to this. The room had previously been used for storing articles for the temple. And what a beautiful, not a beautiful, but what what a graphic picture this is. It used to be the church house, and now they brought the world into the church house. Verse 7, he said, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple. (laughs) Nehemiah, he said, I threw all his stuff out. I just got his bags and threw them out of of the church house. I demanded the rooms be purified and brought back the, the articles of God's temple. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to go home and throw stuff out the windows. But what I am telling you this, you need to take a stand when evil is trying to get a foothold in your house. I'm a gardener, and I love to garden, and there's something called nutgrass. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but nutgrass comes up, it looks pretty, and it sends out tentacles, and these tentacles form a kernel like a seed, and before you know it, it takes over, and you can't get it out. It's not good enough just to pull it out the top because it leaves the kernel in the ground. And I see some of it grow in my garden, and I've got to aggressively pull it out Otherwise, I'll lose the preciousness of my garden. Nehemiah didn't tolerate evil or evil people. He got rid of it. Uh, He was not a narrow-minded bigot, but he was godly and wise. And if I could leave you with this thought, people bring their baggage and beliefs when they come to your home. And I'm not saying don't welcome your friends that drink or, you know, or don't welcome people that whatever. I I mean, I'm not saying exclude yourself, but what I'm saying is this. Don't let them come in and put the roots down. As a Christian, I'm supposed to love all people, but I've got to guard who I'm being influenced by. If you let someone with a drug habit come and be welcome in your child's life, I'm telling you, friends, they'll walk that pathway. I understand I've lived that. If you let pornography in your home, if you let a lustful spirit come in your home, listen, and you have a teenage daughter or flip side a teenage boy, don't be surprised if they're sharing a bed together. Are you with me today? If you let them stay, they'll influence your home. And my question is this. Who is doing the influencing? We don't have a perfect family, but we tried to when we were raising our children to ask this question, who's influencing who? 
If our kids are a good influence on their peers, then bring it on. But if their peers start influencing our kids, then we've got to pull it back a little bit. I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Now, here's kind of a follow-up to that. What are you letting in your home? This is primarily to we as adults. James 1.21, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Get rid of it. And humbly accept the word God planted in your hearts. It has the power to save your soul. So what he's saying here is evil has the power to affect you eternally, but you have to get rid of it. Uh, Maybe our homes need a good spring cleaning. You know, we make sure in our home the floors are vacuumed regularly. We make sure that the bathtub gets cleaned and, you know, those kind of things. But periodically I find my wife, she's a little OCD in this, and I guess I'm kind of glad of that, but, but she's on a ladder cleaning the fan. Or, or she's on top of the shelf. Are you with me today? How many, how many come on are top of shelf cleaners? Let me see your hand here. How many couldn't care less? Let me see your hand. Okay. Well, anyway... Sometimes our homes need spring cleaning. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about vile music. I'm talking about uh, uh, the television. I enjoy TV. But if in the first minute or two of a show, they've already cussed at me three or four times, I'm going to turn it off. I'm not a prude, but I I don't want to lose the sensitivity and the clean conscience when we were, listen, you know when a sex scene's coming most of the time. That's why God put fast forward on that remote. <laughs> You're quiet on me today. Let me give you a little picture uh, for children. This is a children's video. The headline caught my attention. It says, uh, Walt Disney Company shows a gay kiss in children's cartoon for the first time. Now, I don't know about you. Disney used to be wholesome traditional. It was like America. But this is the modern Disney. Two boys are kissing, and I don't know how they really are, eight, nine, and, and two girls. Let me say this. If my child was watching that, here's what I'd say. I would say, God loves all of us, and God has allowed all of us the freedom to make a choice how we're going to live our lives. But according to the Bible, it's not right for two men or two boys to kiss. It's not right for two girls or two women to kiss. We love people. We care about them. We're not better than they are. We don't hate them. But yet we want to choose God's pathway. My question is, what are you allowing in your home? Because it will bear fruit. If you want a happy home, you better guard the door. Come on, punch your neighbor and say, he's pretty good this morning. (laughs) Let me give you a third one. A happy home understands biblical order and authority. Now, this is a big one because American culture is ignoring biblical authority, the idea of authority. It ignores a sense of order, and the result is chaos. Do you know all authority in the world today is simply a precursor or a representation of God's ultimate authority in the world? Whether it's a police officer, how many know you respect a police officer? Not because he's, you know, 6'4 with muscles and can beat you up. You, you respect a petite woman who's a police officer because she's a delegated authority. Now, this idea of delegated authority, uh, I, I hope this is not in our local schools, but I've read articles in schools across America that have virtually no discipline, and it's like the children are running the school. Uh, teachers are afraid of being raped. They're afraid of violence in school because the teacher has not been given the authority, rightful authority at exercise. Police in America, particularly in a lot of music, are called pigs. It's cool to shoot a policeman. 
Just this past week, three policemen were killed in America. I understand there's been 35 killed in America just in 2018. Why does this happen in America as opposed to the biblical idea that a policeman is God's representation of authority on the earth? Their job is to maintain law and order and discipline. How many know we are to respect authority, but it's missing. Uh, this respect of authority, take for the president. There's such hatred in America. The last two presidents, you, you might hate President Trump or, or hate President Obama. That's wrong for the believer. The Bible tells us we may not agree with them, but the Bible tells us we're to pray for those that are in authority. This idea of authority now trickles down to the home. Ephesians 5 verse 21, he, he talks broadly to all Christians about the spirit-filled believer. And he says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submit, it means to, to uh, willingly yield to others. Get along. Don't dominate them because you respect the Lord. And then he says something that's extremely controversial and misunderstood in America today. He speaks to the wives. And the Bible says very little about family relationships as we understand the nuclear family. But he tells two things to the wives. He says, wife, submit to your husband and respect and honor him. He says, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he says, children, obey your parents. Order and delegated authority. Listen to the words. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Another translation said, wife, yield to your husband as to the Lord. Or a third translation, place yourself under your husband's authority. There's the key word, a delegated authority, as you've placed yourself under the Lord's authority. A willful choice. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? even as Christ is the head of the church and is himself the Savior. The Message Bible says the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Let me help you just a little bit. Linnell and I have been married for 35 years. Not one time have I ever told Linnell to submit to me. But what I focus on is my responsibility. My responsibility is to love my wife as Christ loves the church. She has a different set of God-given responsibilities. Uh, uh, it, it's not about me being smarter or better. Notice what it says in, in verse 25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This idea of the headship of the husband does not imply he's smarter or better or the boss. Let me say it again. It does not imply he's Archie Bunker of old or he's smarter or better. It is simply a delegated authority assigned to by God to care for his family. And his responsibility is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like for somebody to love me to the degree that Christ loved me. I care about my wife, but I got to be honest with you, I got a selfish side to me. I heard the grandbaby, grandbaby uh, crying this morning, and I rolled over. I rolled over, and she got up. Christ gave his life for us. Notice what he said about children, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is... It's right. Honor your father and mother. It's number five of the Ten Commandments. It is biblical order for the family. Kids are not in charge. Parents are. This is often missing in America today. And it's not that the parent is the domineering guy with the whip and you're commanding the kids to get your slippers and commanding the kids. But how many know we're a godly influence that has the courage to lead? It's almost like in, 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 a, in the world today, there is a minimization 
of the parental responsibility. It's being transferred to the state. Kids' authority in all of life and their rights are being elevated, but nobody's teaching the children how to live. Nobody's teaching values. It's the parent's responsibility. See, the principle here is when we yield to delegated authority, uh, it's God's plan to make order in the home. Somebody needs to be the recognized ultimate authority in any home, whether you're a single mom, a group of people, a traditional family, if you're living with your mother-in-law. I mean, if you're living with your mother-in-law, it's her home. And it can never be exactly as I want it to be, but if that's the situation I'm in, I'm going to submit myself, come on, because it's her home. You got awful quiet on me there, and all I did was read the Bible to you. (laughs) Tell your neighbor, I'm glad we're done with that point. Let me give you a fourth one that I promise you will help you. Now listen, if you've turned me off, I want to ask you to turn me back on. When I went to seminary and I took classes on marriage counseling, uh, I I was taught that there's two issues that every happy couple needs to have. They need to have good communication skills and they need to know how to resolve conflict. And I want to teach you, if you'll listen to me a moment, about how how to have a happy home to be a place of peace. Because peace is the absence of conflict and strife, or it's resolving conflict. And this is why so many divorces happen. We don't know how to resolve our conflict. We're out of order. Why there's so much trouble. Listen, if there's yelling in your house, if there's throwing things, cussing, threatening, being violent, or flip side, withdrawing in your room and slamming the door, getting in the car and spinning, squealing tires and driving away, or just leaving for three days, how many know if this characterizes your home, it's a nightmare? And can I tell you, friends, the Bible offers a way to resolve conflict and to restore peace. Let me give this to you. It's five quick things. You can write it down, or these notes are all on the Internet. They're available as I preach. But let me teach you how to store, restore peace after a conflict. Here's the first thing. Cool off, come out of your room, and pray together. Now, the key was I was going to say was pray together, but how many know if you've just said some terrible things, if you're angry, and if your temper is up to here, you need to cool off first. You need to walk away. If you've been in your room 30 minutes having a pity party and being a good passive aggressive, you need to get out of your room and you need to come in. And this is powerful now. If you will pray for one another, I promise you, friends, the environment of your room will change. I cannot hate you if I pray for you. I have had Christians that have hurt me, former church members that have hurt me that I didn't want to like, didn't want to be around, didn't want to stay in the grocery store. (laughs) But when I would pray for them, something would change in my heart. Because prayer is an invitation. I want to show you perhaps the greatest advantage that you and I have as believers. And I'm going to use a triangle, three sides. The top is the Lord. If this is me and this is my wife, Linnell, or the husband and the wife, you're going to get close to each other. But something's going to happen, and you're going to begin to set up some boundaries and walls. Somebody doesn't throw away, put away their clothes. Somebody doesn't put away the dishes. Come on now. Somebody doesn't, you know, keep their word or whatever the case is. You're going to have a wall. But if you're two Christians and you have a relationship with God, there's some steps in your relationship with God. And I promise you, when you walk up those steps, your daily devotion, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, the distance between the two of you is getting narrower. And prayer is simply an invitation for God to come in and help. I mean, humbling yourself and having the courage to stick out your hand, come on now, or whatever, and say, 
I'm sorry what I did. I want to pray for you. I should not have done this. And you, it may be just like hugging this pulpit. You may not get anything back, but it is a starting place. Let me give you the second thing, which is an imperative. Confess what you have done wrong. Don't attack or blame. If you come out swinging, they're going to swing back. But if you put your hands in your pockets or behind your back, listen to James 5, 16. Make this your common practice. In other words, do it regularly. What's it say? It says to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can live together whole and healed. It's a powerful thing. It's a humbling thing. But humility opens the door for God to help us. If you will simply say what you did wrong, I'm not saying to tell them what they did wrong. That can come later. But I want to tell you what I did wrong. You could have had a knockdown blowout. You know, I don't know what. You just think of the worst thing that could have happened. If you can just concentrate on what you did wrong and acknowledge that, it opens a door. Here's the third thing. Ask for forgiveness and forgive them. For unforgiveness is the closed fist ready to attack. Forgiveness is the open hand. The Bible says in Colossians 3, bear with each other, which means it's going to be difficult as a Christian. But if someone does wrong to you, what's it say? Get even. If someone hits you, hit them back. If someone hurts you, walk away. No, it says forgive that person. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. If I want God's forgiveness in my life, Jesus taught this in the Lord's Prayer. that I am to forgive or God won't forgive me. Forgiveness is God's way of getting a fresh start. Forgiveness does not always equate with forgetting. You can remember it a while, but forgiveness means I'm going to release it. I'm going to turn it over to God. Here's the fourth one. This is a big one. Ask the offended person what you can do to help the situation. Again, I'm not trying to change you. The only person I can change is guess who? It's me. And I don't do a good job at that. I cannot change the other person. Listen to Proverbs 12. It says, fools think they're doing right, but the wise listen to advice. I guarantee you, if you're in conflict with somebody and you want it to be better, if you will ask them, honey, I know we're having some very serious problems here. Can you tell me what I need to do? What am I doing that's making you so angry? What am I doing that's causing you to walk out of the house? What am I doing? How have I hurt you? And she's saying, you're so stupid. I don't know why I should tell you again. But if she tells you, you have a potential to change. Here's the last thing. Keep praying, asking God to change what you cannot change. I don't care how bad it is, friends. Listen, it's like if there's a wall between the two of you and you can't talk to them, you can talk to God about them and about the problem, and God can speak to them. I'm telling you, friend, don't stop praying. Don't give up on the God factor. I'm telling you, this is gold. If you didn't didn't hear anything else I said today, if you want to improve conflict, pray together. Cool off. Come out of your room. Confess what you've done wrong. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive them. Ask them what you can do to help, and then keep praying, asking God to change what you can't. Come on, somebody give the Lord a a good hand. Let me give you the last one, number five. Joshua chapter 24. A happy home has strong spiritual leadership. What do I mean by that? The book of Joshua. Joshua is Moses' successor. Joshua's led the children of Israel into the promised land. 
He's got them established there. Now it's near the end of his life. And here's what he says to this couple million Israelite people. He said, fear the Lord and serve him. Put away the gods your fathers served in Egypt and serve the Lord. But look at verse 15. I want you to say this with me. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And here's the big part. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now listen, this is not the picture of a boss. It's not the picture of a tyrant. But it's a picture of somebody wanting to lead their family in a deliberate spiritual direction. Every home needs a spiritual leader. And the more people leading spiritually uh, you have, the better off you are. But let me tell you what a spiritual leader does. Number one, he's living a godly life. You cannot tell your kids not to smoke pot when you've got some weed hidden in your drawer. Are you, oh, come on now. I mean, let's just be honest. You cannot tell them to do, you cannot tell them not to cuss if you're, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. A godly example. But here's the next one. Apologize when you mess up. What do you mean, Pastor? Let's say you and your, you, you and your spouse have had a pretty good blow up. And your little nine-year-old child is, is fear, tears coming down her little eyes and scared daddy's going to leave mommy. You need to apologize to your wife, sir. And then you need to get on your knee and go to that little girl. And you need to say, honey, I want to ask you to forgive daddy. Daddy lost his temper. And daddy makes mistakes sometimes. But daddy was wrong in what he did. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I've already asked mommy to forgive me. And I want you to know that I love you. And this little girl is just melting in your arms. I want you to know that I love you. And I'm going to do my best to be the best daddy for you and mommy that I can be. That does not minimize your manhood. Come on. That elevates your role as a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader addresses sin. What I mean by that. Uh, when you're watching television, listen, a curse word can slip up on you a time or two. But after so much, somebody needs to say, let's change the channel. You do not need to wait for your children to fast forward through the sex scenes. That is your job. Somebody, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, needs to say, let's pray. You know, maybe it's a money problem. Maybe it's a, where you're going to go to school or you got a big test. Let's pray. Somebody needs to encourage others to read their Bible. It's a wonderful thing when your child catches you reading the Bible. How many know that? Uh, somebody needs to lead the way to church. And as I understand the Bible, the primary, one of the primary things, this idea of the husband is the head of the home, is that man needs to be the spiritual leader of his home. But listen, ma'am, if your husband is not there or won't do it, you take that responsibility. You be the spiritual leader of your home. Don't beat it, your husband over the head with it, but don't let those kids go without godly influence. Let them see it, let them know it, let them hear it. If you're a young person today and neither of your parents are providing spiritual leadership in the home, you do it. Say, how do I do that? You're not commanding anybody, but you're saying on Saturday night, Mom, let's lay out our clothes for church now. I want to go to Sunday school in the morning. I want to go to church. Somebody is taking spiritual leadership. I want to tell you, friends, if you want a happy home, how many know everybody has, a, has someone in that house that's pointing the way to Jesus? Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet today? I hope I made you think this morning. Well, for the two of you that I did, I'm very grateful that I had that privilege today. You know, if I share with you anything ever from this pulpit, that's my opinion. You can take it or you can leave it. But when I read the Bible, how many know that's not a man's opinion? That's the whole rub of the issue here. Do I really want to be a follower of Christ? 
I see that as my number one role as your pastor on the weekends is to teach you the Bible. But the choice of what you do with it is up to you. The Bible tells us not to be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves, but doers. I mean, know Jesus said that we are not to just, uh, that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. Let's just look at briefly what we said today. Everybody wants a happy home. People are trying to find it in so many ways. I'll suggest to you, you got a better chance of happiness if your home has biblical values. I'll suggest to you, number two, that if you're going to have a happy home, you got to guard the door. You don't want somebody whispering in your kid's ear or saying again and again and again and again, push that dope. A happy home understands biblical order and authority, and it's a willing choice of our response. A happy home is a place of peace, and a happy home has strong spiritual leadership. Just bow your heads with me just a moment. And I want you, just right where you are, to say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do I walk away with today? Where do I need to change? Perhaps as a husband, I have not loved my wife the way Christ loves the church. And I'm making a change today. Perhaps as a child, someone still under your parents' authority, it's been real hard for you to honor your parents, to obey them. My friend, I ask you to yield to the Lord. Yield to them not because of what they do, but because you're a Christian. Maybe there's things in your home that are thieves. Maybe you need to guard the door in some area. Maybe there's a person that you need to have a good heart-to-heart talk with. That I just can't let you bring this stuff in my home any longer. I love you and I'll always love you. But I can't let you bring this stuff in our home. Lord, we want to do that one very tenderly and very cautiously. We don't want to hurt anyone. We don't want to come across as better than. But we want to take our responsibility to guard the door. Maybe the Holy Spirit's nudging you about being a spiritual leader in your home. Don't just let somebody else do it. Step up to the plate. And what a great time it is, is if everyone wants to go in the same spiritual direction. Help us, Holy Spirit, today. Lord, today I simply want to reach out to heaven and just ask you to help me. It's hard. It's easy in church to say I agree, but it's hard to go home when somebody pushes our buttons. Ask the Lord to help you right now. Ask the Lord to help you with conflict. Ask the Lord to help you to humble yourself, to go for prayer when you want someone to come to you for prayer. Help us, Holy Spirit, today. Come help us, Lord. Come on, you just say that right now. Say, Lord, help me. Help me have a happy home. Help me do my part and trust you with the rest. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's close the service this way. We're going to have one last song, and then we're going to dismiss. But during this song, we're going to have an opportunity for prayer. Maybe you're here, and maybe there's something in your life that you just really need to have someone pray with you about. Maybe something in this message brought up something in your family, and your kids, your grandparents, whoever it is. But you just want prayer. It could be over something in the message or just anything in your life. We'll be honored to pray with you and no time pressure. The most important thing we'd like to pray for is your own personal relationship with Christ. Maybe if I were to ask you this serious question today, that if you were to die today, if you'd go to heaven or hell, maybe you're not 100% sure. 
And I tell you, friend, you can be. Every person comes to a defining place in life. It's like a T in a road. Your car stopped, and you either go and turn God's way, or you keep going your way or the world's way. Maybe today is a day when Jesus Christ is calling you to become His follower. Maybe you need to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to give you that gift of eternal life and turn and follow Christ. I'm not asking you to join our church today. We'd be honored to have you, but that's not what this is about. This is about you as God and God, and we're just a facilitator. I went to church all my growing up years. Grateful mom made me go. But going to church won't get you to heaven. A Gideon told me when I was 19 years old that Jesus Christ could change my life, but I had to be willing to turn from my sins and turn and follow Jesus. He told me that I, wanted, I should pray and ask Christ to come in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I did that on August 15, 1976. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm telling you, my life turned around when I turned my heart to the Christ of the cross. And maybe you feel right now that I'm talking to you. Maybe in your search for happiness, you've tried all the world has to offer. But what you're missing, friend, is a personal relationship with God. It'll see you through anything you face in life. I'm going to ask you in just a minute if you want to commit your life to Christ. Or maybe you used to walk with the Lord, but you got away. And today you feel God calling you to come back. We're going to invite you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross. We will not embarrass you. People will clap for you. They'll rejoice with you. But it's something about walking away from the old and walking towards the new. And I want to encourage you, friend, if you can't do it in a church where people will applaud you, you'll never do it out in the world where it's difficult. And if you feel right now a tuggle, there's a part of you that just wants to run out the door and a part of you wants to run to that cross, which one of those do you think is God calling you? I'm telling you, friends, Jesus wants you to put your faith and trust in Him, and we want to help pray with you. So if they're singing this last song, our prayer team's coming to the front right now. They'll be here to pray for anything, but those of you that are making a commitment to Christ will meet you at the cross. It'll be the best step you ever made. You come and we'll pray for you. I love you. I'll see you, Lord willing, next week, and we'll talk about being happy at work. You come and we'll pray for you.